Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Court Delineish Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, here today with uh, my rivals for the throne of the best English language podcast of Portuguese football. Just kidding. Just two fantastic <laughs> guys before uh, who, if you haven't yet, definitely make sure you're following at the Long Ball Football uh, Podcast on Twitter. Two fantastic guys who we had a few uh, months prior to discuss our top 25 uh, players in Portugal. Now having them back on, it's an absolute pleasure. How are you guys doing today? Very good, Zach, man. Thank you for having us on again. It's funny you say rivals. I know it's a big joke because there's so much love between our two podcasts. And I was thinking the other day, you know, it's it's a it's a golden era of, of English language Portuguese football podcasting. There's so many great podcasts out there and so many different types as well you know different levels of of how serious they are how intense they are what they cover so it's it's a great time to be doing this you know i said it last time the quarterlinas is my favorite as a listener podcast to listen to so it's great to be on here again man yeah i like that and also it's like i just wanted to congratulate not that you need congratulate from us but congratulate on your player interviews recently i think they've been like so like I feel like it's such a rare opportunity we get to see in-depth interviews with some of the players in this league I particularly thought your one of Arthur Gomez as well um, was really interesting so yeah congratulations on that man thank you so much yeah if you haven't checked it out yet I did two interviews uh, with two former Estoril players Andre Franco and Arthur Gomes Andre Franco getting a move to Porto uh, Arthur Gomes on the other hand just a few weeks later getting a deadline day move to Sporting, scoring against uh, Tottenham. So I know I know you guys are Leighton Orient fans, I think, right? I don't know if you guys are rivals with Tottenham, but hopefully that felt pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, not at all. I think, I think Spurs are a bit too big to be our rivals, but yeah, I did have a little, enjoy having a bit of a dig at the fans after the game. <laughs> so guys, we've got a ton of stuff uh, to discuss. Been a, it, it's been a long a busy start to the season in Portugal. And uh, starting today, it is international break. Mm. You're free to boo now, throw tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand how you're feeling. But uh, I do want to touch up a little bit on international break before we get into the action in the Primera Liga. Um, and first, just looking at Portugal's squad right now that was called up uh, for that was called up by manager uh, Fernando Santos for the upcoming Nations League matches against Spain and Czech Republic, the final international break before the World Cup. So very uh, important stuff. Got at the goalkeeper position, Diogo Costa, Jose Sa, Rui Patricio. Um, I would probably expect Diogo Costa to continue his starting uh, performances in goal despite Porto's shaky form. I definitely think Santos uh, has faith in him to be the short-term and long-term number one in that position. Looking on at defense, uh, Diogo Dalot, Joao Cancelo, Danilo Pereira, Pepe, Ruben Diaz, Thiago Jalo, Nuno Menge, Rafael Guerrero. Some pretty good uh, depth right there. I think, you know, right back, I believe Joao Cancelo is injured. I'm not sure why he isn't uh, in the squad, but I would probably be expecting him. Or Sorry, Joao Cancelo is in the squad. My bad. Um, I think that right back position, yeah, in that case, yeah, it's definitely covered. Um, guys, any anything you want to add to the goalkeeper or defensive positions? Are there any players we should be looking at 
uh, heading into Qatar. Interesting. Well, I'm of course very pleased to see Diego Diogo Costa in goal. I think it's quite um, fulfilling as a fan of Premier League and someone who is a big advocate for the players who play in that league. See Diogo Costa not just called up, but as you say, likely to be the starting goalkeeper. I think his performances have have warranted that. Um, Ruby Tuchero, I know, has been a great servant to the Portugal national team, but I think Diogo Costa is definitely the best Portuguese goalkeeper playing playing right now for me, definitely. Yeah, I'd echo that, and I, I really hope he can nail on the spot. I think in defence, it's it's a hard one to pick out any players in this league. I, I remember the last time we spoke, Zach, we we were discussing about the sort of the lack of quality in in the right back position in this league, and I I guess. We were, you know, I'm sort of bringing that up to talk, talk about João Mario for Porto because, as good as he has been, I think you know, I don't think he's near this this Portuguese squad yet. I think he's got a lot to a lot lot of, um needs to grow a lot more. Um, and otherwise, yeah, I don't think I could pick any other players from the league who are sort of missing out in the defence position. Yeah, not not just the league, but you know, for Portuguese players in general, I agree with you though. I don't think there are any players that I feel are missing out right now. Right back, could Nelson Semelo, uh, Cedric Suarez, or uh, Ricardo Pereiras take their claim uh, ahead of Diogo Dolo? I'm not too sure. Central defense, I think fourth. I think that could. Is there a chance of perhaps Jose Fonte coming back in ahead of Thiago Jallo? I'm not sure. I'd rather go with Jallo personally. Um, but yeah, I, before we move on. We, we've got, I think all three of us have Diogo Costa in goal. What is our back four right now going into Well, I, I feel a little bit out of place um, talking about the Portugal national team. I don't want to speak for Portuguese Salazar fans, but I mean, I, I, Joao Cancelo is an incredible footballer. Pepe, I mean, uh, Pep, sorry, how old is this guy? And he's still performing and it's incredible what he's achieving. So I, I have him and Ruben Diaz. And then I think for me, Nuno Mendes is the best of the the left-back options out of him and Rafael Guerrero. So maybe that's just my bias because, you know, Nuno Mendes played so well for sporting a couple of years ago. But um, but yeah, that would be for me, I think. I think perhaps such an interesting one, is it? Because he's so old, but he's still doing it. And like, <laughs> and maybe that's the sort of the, the state of, of Portuguese central defenders. You know, the, the fact that this guy, I, I would not... Drop it. I, I just think he's ridiculously good, even even at this age, and even playing in in the Portuguese league as well. We see him perform in the Champions League, so yeah, I think he definitely deserves to start. Yeah, I am going to go with Joao Cancelo, Pepe, Ruben Diaz, and left back. I'll, I'll admit this is a coin toss because Guerrero has done very well for the national team. Was very important in them securing the Euros. I'm going to give the edge to Nuno Mendes, though. I think that he's a phenomenal prospect and a player who is really so balanced, you know, capable of defending, but also capable of going forward, combining uh, in the final third. We've seen that both at Sporting and Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, for me, it's it's Nuno Mensch over Guerrero just by a hair. Moving on to midfield, gentlemen. Uh, Joao Paulinha, Ruben Neves, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Joao Mario of Benfica, not Porto, uh, Mateus Nunes, Vitinha of of Paris Saint-Germain, not Braga, of course, and William Carvalho. This is an interesting one. Are, are there any players that stand out to you as being snubbed here? Great question. Um, 
I, I, I can come in there because I feel like <laughs> snubs are hard. Should be mentioned just, just mm. quick. Yeah, that I, is injured right now. I think I was not here. Yeah, I think. Um, oh, sorry, I've drawn a blank on the manager's name. Fernando <laughs> <laughs> uh, Santos. Thank you. I think he's been quite loyal with his players. I think that's clear in this selection. I think the fact that Jean Mario from Benfica's got back in this. Uh, got into the squad again is 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 I think although he has been performing very well, I think that sort of shows that there's very much a thinking of sticking with the the same the same guard, you know, that and trusting them. Um, I I I think Jao Palinia and Mateus Nunes are the ones I'd like to focus on because they're the ones who've recently most recently been playing in this league, and I think they've done Palinia, especially at Fulham, has done extremely well, and and I would. I'd be very interested to see if he can actually get a starting spot in this in this uh, Portuguese team. Um, I'm not sure if Mateus Nunes has done enough yet, although it is quite an exciting option. And yeah, I, I, I it's I think it's just very very strong midfield, and, and I, I I find it hard to think of anyone who's been snubbed. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah I think the only the only thing I would add to that is I don't know if he's ready yet, but I'd love to see Florentino back in the conversation. Um, because he's playing well for Benfica. He's been out of the picture for a little while, but um, he's back in the picture of Benfica. He's playing very well. We're starting to see that he could maybe realise the potential that we hoped he would. So he's probably a name that I would love to see back in that national team conversation soon. I, possibly a bit too soon this time around, but um, but yeah, he'd be the next one that I'd want to see in that sort of defensive midfield position. You mentioned it before, you know, Fernando Santos is very loyal. I don't think we're going to see... Too many surprises, players such as uh, Florentino Luis, as good as he's been at Benfica, Beto, Vitinha, and Braga, for example. Those are players who I definitely think should be uh, in the conversation for call-ups in 2023, though. Um, gentlemen, it's a pretty difficult task picking out a mid to three or four. <laughs> Any of you two uh, want to give this a shot? I mean... Yeah, I- Come on, I, I was saying my dream one would be Paulinho, Vitinha, and Bruno Fernandes. I think that, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. I just I think that it's, there's there's so many exciting players in there. I think Bruno Fernandes is obviously going to get in the team, but Vitinha and Paulinho, I just I just love to see it, and and I just think that I, I don't know that there's this the manager in me coming up. I feel like it's quite a balanced midfield. As well. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I I. I... I personally go for Pelinia, Vitinha, and Bernardo Silva. I think, I, I mean, I have to be totally honest, I don't follow the English Premier League super closely, but from what I've seen of Bruno Fernandes this season, he's not quite been at the level that he has been in the past. So for me, yeah, I'd go Pelinia holding midfield and then have Vitinha and Bernardo Silva. I mean, I love Bernardo Silva, he's just an incredible footballer. So that'd be my three. One player we did not mention, uh, Joao Moutinho, a player who has been a mainstay for the Salazar for the past decade and some uh, not even included in the squad. This is a really tough one for me. Moutinho has been so important for him, uh, important for Portugal, but at this point, I do feel like it is best to move on. I thought that he was going to be included in this setup uh, going into Qatar, but there are just so many fantastic options, and it's, it's hard to see him getting into uh, this squad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see him come back to Portugal, man. I just want to see him do another season in Portugal. I want to I want to touch up on something else because two players uh, are unavailable due to injury. Renato Sanchez and Otavio both have played important roles in midfield. 
So considering those two players, considering the midfield crop of João Paulinho, Ruben Neves, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, João Mario, Mateus Nunes, Vitinha, and William Carvalho, going to uh, going to posit you an interesting hypothetical. Now, assuming that all of those players, including Otavio and Renato, are fit for Cutter, which of those players is going to make way for Renato and Otavio? Or, you know, are one of the other, is, is Renato not going to make it? Is Otavio not going to make it? Who misses out? Who makes the cut? You know, where do you guys stand on Portugal's midfield selection going into Cutter? I think, if I'm being honest, I would say João Mario is the easiest name to leave out because he's not been at the top, top level of those other players for a little while. He's in good form, so I, I can understand the call-up now at the moment. Um, but I think for me, that would be the easiest name to to drop. And then if I'm being harsh, I'd probably, probably say, I don't know, maybe Otavio. I think that's a bit bit harsh but if you have to drop someone I don't think you can drop Bernardo Silva or Bruno Fernandes um, I don't think you drop Vitinha I think Renato Sanchez deserves to go um, so it's a tough one I mean the only thing I would say about uh, uh, Otavio is that if he if he was going to go then you consider dropping Mateus Nunes for depending on how well he's playing at Wolves but for me I think the players who you're considering dropping are Otavio Mateus Nunes, João Mario and um, uh, no, I think that's it. Well, those those three players are sort of ones I would consider as on the lower lower end of the spectrum, really. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Otavio and um, Shao Mario are the ones I would see getting dropped out. I think I, I love Renato Sanchez. I think he's just such a, a such a good midfielder, and I, I think it would be hard for him not to get into that into that team. Yeah, I think that Renato will get back into the team. Otavio be interesting. I think you know the he was so important in Portugal, uh, getting through into the World Cup after that failure to automatically qualify. I'd be leaning on him to getting in, but I think it's between him and Matheus Nunes, the two Brazilian-born mm. players uh, gunning for mm. Attack, final category here. Let's talk about this. Cristiano Ronaldo, Diogo Jota, Pedro Neto, Joao Felix, Rafael Leao, Ricardo Horta, and last but certainly not least, Rafa Silva. And I say Rafa Silva because <laughs> the blockbuster news mm. of the day has come out with Rafa Silva after a national career that has seen him play 25 times for the senior team, play 40 times across all uh, youth levels, player who has won the 2016 European Championships with Port- Portugal, a player who is arguably playing some of the best football of his career for Benfica has retired at the age of 29. So plenty of options uh, to replace him, whether that's a, a different profile stylistically, such as Vitinho or Beto, or a player such as Jota, Gonzalo Getch, a more natural winger. Um, but first off, what do we make? of this abrupt retirement it's quite hard to to speculate what's what's going on in rafa silva's head at the moment because i think he cited personal reasons 
um, which is quite vague, obviously, but makes you think that it's not footballing reasons. Um, his agent came out and said he wanted to focus his time and attention at, at Benfica, which, again, I, I, I don't really get. So it, it's a... <laughs> It's a very strange one. I could understand it more if he had just been overlooked, right? If Fernando Sanchez had just not called him up and then you say, right, I'm retiring because retiring retiring from international football and retiring from club football are two very different things. Retiring from international football is quite easily reversed. I think there are multiple examples of players who've come out of retirement at international level for different reasons. So I could have understood it if Fernando Sanchez had overlooked him, he'd gone, right, I'm retiring from international football. And that was basically his way of saying, if Fernando Sanchez is not going to respect the way I'm playing, then I'm not going to play for this manager. But he's just been called up. So it's a very, very strange one. Um, and I, yeah, like I said, I find it very, very hard to 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 put myself in his position and, and understand what he's thinking at the moment because he is playing great football. And I think he would be a good option for Portugal, he might not be a certain starter, but surely it's every footballer's priorities to play for their national team. And so there must be something important going on for him to then turn his, his back on that opportunity. Yeah, because my, my instant reaction was that it was to focus on Benfica. But then when you think about it more, um, Rafa's time at Benfica, I, for me anyway, is, is a constant of ups and downs and drug, dipping in and out of form. And uh, but and it's the national team who have sort of been that constant where he's you know he's regularly selected he regularly gets paid and so if you know what it, 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 it confused me a lot and I don't know I think it's fantastic for Benfica to just think of this for, for like for the simply for the for the league I think you know considering the season we've got on our hands with the World Cup in the winter and how packed the schedule is going to be having a player not participating in that and being able to stay fresh because you know let's not forget as fantastic as this start to the season as Rafa had last year, you know, that he dropped off a cliff the second half and going to the World Cup perhaps would have done, maybe made the possibility of that happening again even more so. So it's great for Benfica in that sense, but I, I agree with Albert, it's just too hard to sort of work out exactly exactly why he's, he's doing this. One thing that is interesting as well is that, you know, it, it, Rafa's retirement also gives you that possibility where, you know what, maybe I don't cut uh, Mateus Nunes from the squad. Maybe I include mm. Mateus and Otavio and Renato Sanchez mm. uh, and cut João Mario. You know, it, it opens up that possibility. But with that being said, I would expect Fernando Santos to call up uh, an attacking player, probably a wide player yeah. uh, that are available to Santos. Jota doing fantastic stuff at Celtic after leaving from Benfica. And Daniel Podence, Francisco Trincao, uh, you know, doing okay at Wolves. Could join Mateus uh, Nunes and Pedro Neto in the squad. Um, you also have Francisco Trincao and Pedro Gonçalves um, in, in sporting. So between those players, Podence, uh you know, all, all these players, who do you think is going to get that spot? I can only really answer that question by saying who I would like, who my choice would be. So I, I would personally like to see Pedro Gonçalves get the call up because it would be, for me, it would be either him or Jota, and I, Jota at Celtic. And I think 
for me personally, Pedro Gonzalez has achieved a bit more uh, domestically at club level over the last couple of years. Obviously, last season was a dry season, but I still think, you know, he was overlooked quite a lot when in that title-winning season when he was in incredible form. So I think he possibly deserves to call up more, although either him or Jota, I would, I would, I would be happy with personally. I'm interested that nobody's um, mentioned Paulinho's name yet, um, but perhaps, you know, perhaps he's not for everyone. I mean, I, I think I think um, Jose for me would be the one to get in there. I think he, particularly with the fact that the uh, Sporting doing so well in the Champions League as well, just sort of, um, I th- I'd have him over Trincao as well. I don't I don't think Trincao's shown me enough this season to to get his, a, a place in that squad. So yeah, it'd be um, Pedro Gonzalez for me. Let's get into the Primera Liga now. We've talked enough about the Silasau. Um The other big news today, apart from Rafa Silva's retirement is the second uh, managerial departure of the Primera Liga season, just a few weeks after Vasco Siabra leaving Marichimo. Uh, Rui Pedro Silva has left his post as Famalicão manager. I want to put this in context for the people who don't have a great grasp on Portuguese football. Uh, Famalicão, return to the top flight in 2019 for the first time in, I believe, 24 years. Their first season back, um, they finish sixth, miss out on European football, uh, final day of the season, and overall just a fantastic return to the top flight. End up losing plenty of key players such as Pedro Gonçalves, Tony Martinez, Uros Rasic, end up uh, having a poor start to the season. João Pedro Sousa, who uh, actually had taken charge of the club after the previous manager led them to promotion, João Pedro Sousa, who had led them to a sixth-place finish, uh, getting sacked midway through the season. Famalicão need to uh, dig themselves out of trouble and do so with a very productive January window, end up... Uh, end up solidifying a fairly decent mid-table finish under Ivo Vieira. Following season, once again, losing quite a few key players such as Manuel Ugarte and Ruben Vinagre uh, going to Sporting. Struggled to deal with those departures, uh, ending up having to fire Ivo Vieira midway through the season, uh, needing a big January window to restore their fortunes, get them out of uh, another relegation fight and solidify a fairly decent mid-table finish. And and it seems as though the pattern has repeated itself, but perhaps not quite to the same ilk because this is a much earlier uh, managerial departure for Rui Pedro Silva, departing in September after uh, cleaning up the mess from the previous manager, leading them to a fairly decent mid-table finish. Overall, though, it does seem like Famalicão are almost stuck in this cycle. Um, And they have had a terrible start to the campaign, currently in the relegation playoff spot with four points from seven games. That's three above Passos de Pajera, four above Marichimo, the only team without a point uh, so Hmm. far. Overall, a very disappointing uh, start of the season. And they have scored just one goal. I think that's the most damning stat of them all. One goal. 
you can't say it wasn't coming for Rui Pedro Silva. Yeah, they, they gave him seven games, um, and I think that was fair enough. Obviously, he got the win against Santa Clara, which was gave him a bit of time. Um, I forget which team they drew against. Was it Gil Vicente? They drew against fairly early on. They drew, uh, they drew 0-0 to Gil Vicente, and then exactly. Santa Clara one week later. So I think they gave him enough time. The results have been dreadful, dreadful. It's And it's difficult because I, I, I did like him as a manager from what he did last season I thought he did pretty well like you say steering the ship um but it's it's the cycle repeating itself as you say that family car one of these teams that really struggled um to to cope with the success that they had that one season where they obviously famously just missed out on Europe on the last day and they failed to um solidify the good work that they'd done obviously they knew they'd be losing players but they lost players for for fees in in a lot of senses so they didn't perhaps reinvest in the squad they didn't find a manager who they wanted to stick by um and they've just kind of spiraled in a way i think the one bright spot for me was actually under Ivo Vieira when i thought um when he came in uh they were in the relegation zone he came in and he took them very very close to europe again and i thought they were in in good form so they they've had ups and downs over the last couple of years this is a big down um and i think it's absolutely right that that the manager goes i i think they gave him enough time this season he's he's not shown any sign of being able to to turn around the form that they're in that said i think the quality of the group that he's working with is quite low and i think it's probably the lowest uh in terms of quality of players that they've had in of the last two or three seasons this is for me the the lowest in terms of personnel so it's it's tough it's harsh perhaps but it's for me the right thing to do they need to decide what they do next because they haven't got a transfer window for quite a long time to work with so this is the same group of players where do they look in terms of manager i'm i'm not quite sure um joao henriquez is now off the market so if they were going for real backs to the wall you know, relegation battle stuff. That's one option off the table. Do they look for an ambitious appointment? How much money is the owner willing to spend on a manager? There are decent Portuguese managers out there. Um, it's tough. It's tough because the, their options are very limited at this point. They, they, they've the transfer windows closed now, and this is the group that they've got. So, whoever comes in has to be prepared to be quite honest for a, a bit of a dogfight at the bottom of the table. Yeah, I, I really wasn't surprised he got sacked. I think Albert's right there when he says that the the, the quality of squad is the, the worst I think they've had in a while. Although saying that, there are there are there are a few bright spots. I mean, you got Ivan Jamie to come back from injury, who was a huge player for them last year, and missing him is you know a, 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 you can see they're clearly struggling to create. I mean, obviously you add to that departure of um, Charles Texeria, who they were unable to keep, who was also one of the those key players in. The second half of last season but it's an interesting one because I was quite excited by some of their signings Zedo Yusuf in midfield and Santiago Colombato as well I think are both exciting midfielders they look good particularly Colombato I'd say he's probably the only one who's stood out for me in this family Cal side as, as, as a good player and the one that really sticks with me is Zach and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because I, I feel like you would have you know a bit more about it than I would, but Gustavo Asuncao, who in his first season in the Premier League was unbelievable. And then he had that move to Galatasaray last year, but ended up coming back halfway through the season. And since then, 
just a real shadow of the player that I I I, I thought he could be, and and you know the fact that he's still there in this team, I think felt like should should mean something. But so far, he just hasn't performed at all. Gustavo Austin saw a very interesting case. I did uh, do an interview with him for Breaking the Lines. A player who, yeah, had a fantastic debut season for Fumalika was perhaps the only one of the only stars from that team in their successful return to the top flight who stuck around and uh, failed to carry over that form. Eventually tried to leave um, and ended up joining Galatasaray on loan in on deadline day did absolutely terrible there and didn't really get any opportunities that he was looking for returned to January uh, returned in the January window found himself out of the team for the second half of last season and uh, yeah now is still um, is still out made a start um, against uh, made made two starts actually against Estoril in the following game against Baraga has not been in the lineup since August 12th. Another very interesting one. You look at the the caliber of this team on paper. I don't know. I feel like they should be doing better. But the fact is they just need to get out of this funk that they are in. Mm. That is, right, this this rinse and repeat cycle. Uh, It seems like this is Groundhog Day that we're talking about. Uh, Some interesting options for Fumalikau. Vasco Siabra, who, of course, was the first managerial departure of the season. Um, Joao Pedro Sousa is a, reun- is a reunion on the cards. We'll see. Um, I think Bruno Pinheiro did a fairly good job with Estoril in their uh, return to the top flight last season. Ricardo Suarez, I think, would be a very ambitious appointment after a fantastic year at Gil Vicente. Um, a few other options, Paulo Sousa, Pedro Martins, don't know if they have the capabilities to attract manager, but uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I just think that the you you mentioned the sort of the funk that they're in. It's not only in the coaching staff. But I feel like it's the the players as well. They they there's such high player turnaround uh, turnover, and they just me and Albert described it for us. They sort of like buy a load of players, throw it at the wall, and see who sticks and like who's good. And uh, and I just feel that that's not helping this club at all. They need a bit more consistency. They need a bit of stability and. You see, it's hearing some of the names you mentioned there that excites me, and and now I'm feeling positive like they could could get something together because, yeah, there's there's some okay players in there, and they just need the right manager to sort of get the team together, and and hopefully try and fight their way out of this relegation scrap. Bamaliko losing one nothing to perhaps one of the biggest revelations of this season so far in Casapia. Casapia currently playing their first top flight campaign in 83 years. They sit sixth in the Primera Liga table, one point behind Boavista and Portimonense, two points behind Porto, and seven points behind Lisbon rivals Benfica. An absolutely fantastic start to the season for the Lisbon base side, and perhaps the most impressive result from the most impressive statistic is they have the joint best defense in the league after seven games with three goals conceded level with league leaders Benfica. Just how good has this Casapia team been in their first few weeks and what has made them such a tough team to break down? 
Well, they've been fantastic. It, it seems that you know every every season we get given a new uh, revelatory team to kind of dig our teeth into that all us Portuguese football nerds can sort of salivate over uh, one revelatory team this season. It's absolutely Casapia, I think. Um, as you say, they've 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 been they've been excellent. But I think the interesting thing is that. Uh, we did a we did a preseason preview show with a guy called Jose from Specialists de Segunda, which is like a second division specialist um, journalist website and, and Twitter page about the second division. We chatted to him about Casapia, and I think what became apparent was for those who've kind of followed them for the last few years, this this kind of success and this progression that they've had is has not been a surprise. You know, this is not a kind of a fluke. This is a really well organized team from quite a high level. Uh, they've been planning for promotions. They've been planning the squad and and the way that they're going to play. So um, it shouldn't really be a surprise to those who, who've watched them for the last couple of years. They're they're very new to me. I have to say this is the first season that I've watched them, uh, and I've loved what I've seen. I think I've been really pleasantly surprised by the the talented players that they have. You know, and it's not just one or two players. It's it's players all over the pitch who have stood out. Some of the players for me. Uh, Leonardo Lello, the, the the left back, who I really like a lot, who he's playing for the Portugal under 21s now. He got called up for the under 21 national team. He's been excellent. Um, Kunimoto, the Japanese playmaker, who has been so effective at playing these incredible passes, cutting open defenses, uh, a really creative midfielder who's who's not been shy to try and play his game against big teams. Savior Godwin is out of this world. I mean, I, I, I heard his name from the second division and, you know, you hear about players who are good players in the second division and you're kind of keen to watch them in the Premier League when they do step up and sometimes they're they're less impressive than others. But he looks really at home in in the top division. And and then, and then of course, a personal favourite of mine, Rafael Martins, the kind of veteran striker who I think was a really smart signing who's bringing leadership up front, which is a good place to, to have a leader. So they, they just have effective players an effective way of playing you know you can tell that the way they play the system they have is is something that's been planned it's it's not an accident they have a coach who's been helping the team to play that way for a long time and it just seems like everything is 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 going to plan for Casapia at the moment they couldn't have asked for a better start to the season um and every time you watch them play every game they look completely at the very least, they look prepared for what they have to do, even if it's against a big team uh, where they're going to be underdogs or against a mid-table team where they think, you know what, we can come into this game and dictate the play and and and, and be the better team on the pitch today. And, and they've so far, they've done everything as good as you can ask for, really. Yeah, I think I was said a few players there that I, I would agree with. I mean, including which I think... Zach, I don't know if you noticed this story, but um, you know, he was one of the best players in the the K League in Korea, but um, he actually got his contract rescinded because he got caught drink driving, which is sort of how Casapia came about getting him. So like an opportunity arose and, and they've got a, a fantastic player. I, I I he's by far for me the the, the one to sort of I enjoy watching when I see Casapia play. But I think defensively, I think you make a really good point there because it's sort of the Kunimoto, Savio Godwin, Rafael Martins, that's Oh, it's so exciting, but the defence are just so sound. And 
Albert sort of said there about how this team has been preparing for a long time and you see that throughout the squad you know there's a lot of experience there this is not like a mixture of veterans and, and inexperienced youngsters these are these are there's a lot of players here of a decent age who have been playing for, for a while in Portugal in other areas throughout Europe and, and it's all come together nicely I think if I was to highlight one defender it would be João Nunes um, who's currently injured so he's missed the last two games but at the start of the season I just think he looks he didn't, I think he signed from um, Puskas Academy. So like he's come back to Portugal, but he just didn't didn't look out of place at all in this league. He looked absolutely fantastic. And uh, yeah, just uh, just another great defender in that team. I mean, the other surprising one was me. I, just, I completely forgot um, Romario Barrows and they're playing centre midfield in this game. I just, it's, you know, I forgot they got him on there, which is another great signing. So this is a, a really well put together squad. And, I, and I, I think it's an interesting example of, I feel like, you know, we've just been talking about Family Cow, who had a ridiculous turnover of players, you know, regular t- changes in manager. But you can say that for quite a lot of, of the teams who have been in this league for a few years now. But I feel what we've seen this season from the promoted teams is, is a more settled squad, a more settled team, uh, having more consistency, you know, and I think that's putting the promoted teams in a, in a stronger place this season. Another revelation of this start of the season so far has been Portimonense currently one point above Casapia. Uh, Portimonense kicking off the weekend with a one nothing victory against Shavj. So far they have uh, lost to Boavista one nothing, lost to Sporting 4 nothing. They've won their other five games against Shavs, Famalicão, Maritimo, Vitoria, and Passos de Fajera. Very decent return for the Algarvians, who, let's not forget, uh, lost their starting goalkeeper, Samuel Portugal, to mm. Porto on deadline day, and yet uh, doing very well, just one point behind Porto and four points behind Braga. Um, what do you guys feel, what, what have been your sensations for this team under Paulo Sergio, because it does feel like they have been a, a team who are definitely, I think, punching above their weight and a team who could make a run uh, for European football. I think I think we've got to remember their last season, right, where they had a, a, a brilliant start. You know, there was that famous win at the Lose, which was uh, uh, really sticks out in my mind. And but then they completely fell apart after the January window, and that you know they lost a couple of players, Bo Morty, Fali Kande, and I think we put, I put a lot on that. But they've also lost important players in this the most recent transfer. You know, Nakajima not coming back, William Russia departing. You mentioned Samuel Portugal. I would even argue Fabricio, the striker, as well as moved to China. But I think what we're starting to see from Portland is how smart they are in the transfer window, and they've. Players from the lower leagues in Portugal, in particular, Sec, the left back, I think has been fantastic. You know, he, he perhaps excites me more than Fadi Kande did. Yago Carrillo, Rui Gomez, Brian Rushes, you know, deals that don't cost this club a lot, but they're really reaping the rewards. I mean, Yago Carrillo has been absolutely fantastic up, up front. Um, and then the other side of this as well is that they're promoting players from their beating, Paulo Estrella, who scored the penalty in this game. You know, Bruno Reis has come on a couple of times. Something's really starting to click for me with, with Portland, a team that sort of, you know, that they, they they almost got relegated, didn't they? But fortunately, to like they they got themselves out of it. And I think 
the key has been giving Paolo Sergio the trust, and that makes such a huge difference. You know that I, I mentioned the sort of dip they had last season after such a good start. You know, we we perhaps would have seen other teams get rid of the manager at that point, but they've stuck with Paolo Sergio, and he's able to continue this and build this team. I mean, Chavez, it, for me, had perhaps the the best wing back partnership in the league, or my favorite one at least, uh, is Jao Correa and Bruno Langer, but. Fad Mufi missed the second this game, absolutely battered them and, and showed me what they're about. Fad Mufi as well is the, you know, they've done well to keep and there was, there's reasons he got that. The rumours came about with him moving to Porto. He's just been incredible at right back. And yeah, I, I, I think defensively he's developed so much. So um, uh, he's probably my favourite player in this Portsmouth team. He's, he's so solid and also a threat getting forward. Yeah, it's hard to add anything to it. I just said that I think he summed up pretty much the main points. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that I really predicted this would be a tough season for Portsmouth and I, I predicted them to be a team battling relegation just purely based on how poorly they ended last year and then over the summer they didn't exactly on paper improve the squad but, but like Barney says a lot of the signings that they made seem to be now be very shrewd signings signings from the lower divisions that have players who've stepped up. I mean, I'm, I just think back to how they were playing at, at the end of last year, some of the games that they were playing. I remember they lost to Aruka, they lost to Bisad, they lost 7-0 to Porto in this sort of last part of the season. And, and it just looked like a team that was completely bereft of of confidence, self-belief. And so I would just echo Barney's credit to the manager because it's the same manager and it's largely the same group of players or at least players who, when they've lost key players, have not exactly been replaced with stars, you know. So it, I think you do have to credit the manager for the way he's galvanised the team, the way he's not allowed the negativity to spiral to a point where it was impossible for him to carry on. And you do see, unfortunately, that happen with a lot of managers. Uh, you know, we just talked about the family cow manager leaving. We saw Vasco Siabra leave at Maritimo earlier in the year. These are managers who just couldn't, in my opinion, get a grip of a spiraling negative situation um and they're in a much better position the confidence is back um and i think a big thing is is they're scoring goals as well which is something they struggled to at the end of the last season Yago Cariello was a big part of that at the beginning of this season uh, he hasn't played the last few games um but i think is it wellington junior the winger who's got a couple of goals himself so you know there's goals in this team they look like a threat going forward now um when last year they just looked completely useless to be honest but yeah full credit to the manager and the players because it's a it's, the sides are unrecognisable from this time just a few months ago who stood out for you Zach who, who the players have caught you are with regards to Portmanench mm. so yeah with regards to Portmanench I think that uh, Fad Mofi the captain for me one of the best right backs in the league really mm. uh, an all action full back Pedral I was really impressed with him last yeah. year well, 25 years old Brazilian center back, um, forming a very good partnership alongside 22-year-old Portuguese center back Felipe Hilbush. And uh, yeah, I do. Iago Cariello definitely has has been out of the team uh, for for uh, the past few games, but has been important for them. And I definitely expect him to slot right back into the team alongside likes of Wellington, Everton, uh, and and yeah, midfield you've got to give it to likes of Paulo Estrela and Luquinha doing a good job mm. in the double pivot. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that they will be. I expect them and possibly Estoril 
maybe Casopia uh, expect them to be challenging going into the uh, the end of the season. We'll see what happens though. Uh, Casapia beating Famalicão, Shavs losing to Portimonense, the other newly promoted side, Kio Av, um, taking on Gil Vicente in Barcelos, taking the lead before halftime, the goal from Guga, um, or, and, or, excuse me, Rio Av taking the lead, uh, via goal from Guga before the break, then adding another goal from Aziz. Aziz, a player I've talked about uh, for 23 years of age, Ghanaian striker, and he has uh, scored goal against Estoril, scored a brace and assist against Porto, scored a goal and an assist against uh, against Braga, and scoring against Gil Vicente. Very good start to the season for the Ghanaian striker in Vila de Conde. Achioav uh, Taking the lead, taking a two nothing lead after 71 minutes. Uh, Gil Vicente pulling one back in the 80th minute from Fran Navarro. Uh, Rio Av getting sent, getting uh, going down to 10 men after Guga, one of the goal scorers, picked up a second yellow, two yellows in eight minutes. That's not Portuguese football. I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, and finally, Murilo de Souza, player who had not played since January, uh, playing his first game since January after suffering an Achilles injury, coming off the bench and scoring in the 96th minute to secure a 2-2 draw uh, for Gil Vicente in Barcelos. Very, uh, another another fantastic late drama that, that we mm. saw in Portugal. Really interesting game between those two sides. It's followed up um, on Saturday by a game between Santa Clara and Passos de Ferreira. Santa Clara taking the lead after seven minutes from Gabriel Silva, only for Machoy Jalo to equalize after the break, securing a 1-1 draw for Passos in the Azores, and most importantly, securing Passos their first point of the season. Could be a massive point for Cesar Peixoto as he looks to avoid the fates of Vasco Siabra and Rui Pedro Silva. Overall, though, this is still a team with just one point from its first seven games. A team that has conceded 15 and scored five. A a team that has definitely been one of the biggest disappointments so far. What do we make of both, not just Passos, but I want to I want to I want to get into Santa Clara later, but uh, because they also are doing fairly poorly with regards to uh, their their player quality. Currently, 14th in the league with five points from seven games. Let's talk about Passos though for a second. Let's talk about the Beavers. Uh, all bark and no bite. <laughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> um, man, pa- Passos. I, I you know when whenever we. You know, whenever me and Barney do our podcast, or if, if I ever talk about anyone, I always try and be mindful of the fact that these are all professional athletes who've achieved a lot more in the game than I could ever dream of achieving. That said, I'm finding it really hard not to pretty much hammer Passos for being pretty awful at the moment. I mean, they have been they have been dreadful. This game for me, uh, as you say, one one against Santa Clara 
it, it kind of epitomized Passos' season. There was a lot of passion. There was a very respectable amount of fight and desire, but there was just a huge lack of quality. The first goal that Passos conceded was unforgivable, absolutely unforgivable. If you've not, if you've not seen it, go watch the highlights. Essentially, the Passos keeper, there's like a looping ball over the top of the back four. It's really not that much danger at all. All the keeper has to do is run out and, and clear the ball just completely misses the ball and gifts Santa Clara a goal. I mean, talk about when you're bottom of the league, you've got zero points, you're fighting for your life. And then as a keeper, you you go and let your team down like that. It's absolutely, absolutely unforgivable. But it just epitomizes where Passos are at at this point in the season for me. And it's interesting. I wonder, you know, whether you saw it coming, Zach or Barney, whether you saw it coming. When I think about how, you know, before the season, when I was looking at teams, predicting how they might do, I didn't see this coming for puzzles at all. Maybe maybe that was misguided. Maybe with the benefit of hindsight, we can now see that there are issues there that that were obvious. But for me, I, di- I didn't see it coming. I thought they'd done pretty good work at the end of last season to, to kind of solidify survival, really. They didn't do anything all that crazy, but there was a lot of praise going around from us, included from Cesar, for Cesar Pichotto and the team for how they'd kind of galvanized and got themselves out of a tricky situation. But I just cannot see where, where is, where's the wind coming from? Where are the goals coming from? When you look at this team that it says a lot when their best player is a 35 year old left back, you know, in Antunic. So it's a really difficult situation. I, I look at the players that they're lining up with every week and I, I just, I just think I don't know where the goals are coming from. I don't know where the wins are coming from. And, and every time they line up against another team, I think they're second best here. I think that they had a, a dreadful window at the back. You know, they lost their, um, their, one of the best goalkeepers in the league. They lost both their centre-backs. Um, they've sort of barely improved that area of the pitch. And, and central midfield as well, I actually think, Letting go of Diaby, who who moved to Portsmouth, ends is was a bad mood. I think Diaby had a, a definitely had something to offer, and a player who Peshotu certainly didn't use enough. But the the, uh, the attacking signings have excited me, and I, and the lack of goals has confused me. But I guess I would I would just give the players time to gel. I think Nathan Thomas looks like a, a, a exciting winger. Um, I, the the one player I really wanted to talk about though is Macho Jao because I, I love this kid he's play, a player I've liked for a long time and I think he's going to be a huge player for them this season and there was a free kick in this game where both Antunes and Macho were both standing over it and I think we saw in that moment the, the two most important players at this club you know Albert said to you that there was fight in there. Matro showed that completely. He showed the fight. He showed the determination. He, he had a few chances he should have done better, in, but he, oh, you know, he got the goal, and he, he shows me, you know, the fight that I expect a seasoned veteran at the club like Antunes to show. And, and it's a lot of pressure to put on this one player, and such a young player who clearly loves the club. But I think he's the man we passers have to look to, and and Pashot has to look to to sort of try and try and find something, try and find a spark, because I think elsewhere on the pitch, you're not going to find it. Matsui Jalo, 19 years of age, made his professional debut at 16, uh, has picked up a goal, picked up a goal in the 2019-20 season, as well as the a goal and an assist last season um, for Passos de Fajera, and he has 
uh, equaled his goal tally. Let's see, can he get to two goals? Will be very interesting. Uh, and the teenager, current 19 years of age, making up for his red card just a few weeks ago against Istorio. Will be very interesting to see if Cesar Peixoto can steady that ship at Passos de Pera. Um, Saturday's action completed with two absolutely shocking results. Uh, first one, Storiel Praia going up against Porto. Porto obviously coming off a 4-0 defeat in the Estadio de Regal to Club Bruges. A absolutely embarrassing result. And usually, Porto, they, they have had their fair share of poor uh, European results under Sergio Conceição. But almost always what happens is you see Porto immediately react in the following league fixture and get a convincing victory. This was anything but convincing. Um, Estoril take the lead before halftime via Benfica Loni, Thiago Govea. Been a real revelation on the flanks for Estoril since joining on loan. Um, Estoril going down to 10 men in the 77th minute from Mor Ndiaye and uh, Porto grabbing a penalty in extra time, scoring in the 99th minute from Medi Taremi to secure a 1-1 uh, draw in Kaishkaish. Overall, another very worrying result for Porto. Take a look at their form since August 28th, so over the past month or so. Losing 3-1 to Huav. Defeat, uh, they, they beat Gil Vicente 2-0. They lose 2-1 to Atletico de Madrid. Beat Chaves 3-0. Uh, lose to Club Bruges. And now drawing to Estoril. Very lucky to mm. escape Caixcaix with a point. We, obviously, take nothing away from Estoril. You know, they have been very good this season. Currently 7th. Uh, and, and have been... A, a real uh, threat against likes of Bizella, um, Passos, Famalicão, done very well so far, um, and have put together a good transfer window as well. But, you know, where do we stand with this Porto side? You know, I think the most interesting thing to do with this game is to compare the to compare Porto last season with this season, and compare when they played the exact same game last season away at Estoril and it was a famous game and, and we all know what happened in that match they went 2-0 down and then of course managed to win the game 3-2 in stoppage time with some late goals I believe if I'm correct it was two goals from Luis Diaz and one from Francisco Conceição so to compare that Porto with the Porto we're looking at now you can look at the obvious thing which is that Luis Diaz and uh, Francisco Conceição those players who got those goals are no longer there. That's the obvious thing. But I think it's more than just missing those specific players. It's about the players that left, that those type of players that they now don't have. They don't have a Luis Diaz in that squad anymore, a player who can grab the game by the scruff of the neck and get you two goals pretty much on his own when the whole team's playing badly, a player that will just dig you out of holes, get you out of trouble. Uh, and they don't have players like Francisco Quanzasau, that kind of really dynamic little player who can just cause problems and make things happen. And of course, they're lacking creativity now that they've lost uh, Vitinho and Fabio Vieira. I think 
it's a very, very different team. They're lacking spark. They're lacking creativity. Um, they're lacking those maverick players who can make things happen. So what they're left with is a lot of very competent players, you know, good players, uh, a lot of players with heart and determination. But that special something that got them out of trouble so many times last season, that got them over the line in difficult games, is just not there anymore. And whether they can get that back, whether that's players who are currently not playing so much, players like Veron who are maybe coming off the bench, who can step up and make a difference. Maybe those players are in that team, who knows? But at the moment, they need something because something very big is missing. And that's why in a, a game like this, where they go 1-0 down, they just don't have enough to to get two goals, you know, to get the win, to, to complete the comeback. They can only just just about get one. It's 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 small margins, but the difference is there, and the difference is significant enough that they will be dropping points this season if things don't change. I've seen a lot of people sort of discussing whether this is conscious health or, or, or some people completely blaming Luna Pinto de Costa on the situation that Porto are in. But I think there's a squad of players good enough here, and and certainly good enough to win against Estrel. And I, I no disrespect to Estrel, but. If, if the squad's good enough, then it's the tactics, right? And the team selection that are to blame. And I think Conchasau is... I, I think players are not being treated well. And, it, and it's something I said a few podcasts back, uh, go back on, on our one, where I think Conchasau gives players, some players, too much trust and plays them even when they're not performing and then doesn't trust players enough and so takes them out of the team or doesn't give them the opportunity that they, even when they've done well. And I think a prime example of this is Evan Nielsen for me. You know, Tony Martinez and, and Danny Namaso have shown that they can do it You know, at the beginning of the season, but he continues to play Evan Nielsen. And, and don't get me wrong, I understand that Evan Nielsen's a, a good striker and will, and will be an excellent player for Porto, but you, you have to give people a fair chance and... and what's not to say Evan Nielsen would respond well from being dropped for a few games and, and what's not to say that Terry Myers could go on a goal scoring streak and, and I just think there's been there's there's play, different players are treated differently and I, I, I don't agree with that I also don't think you can play the double pivot with the midfielders he's got and not put two wingers on either side you know when Vettini is one of those two in midfield you had your creativity you had your forward passes you had your switches but any combination of Uribe, Stakio, Guzik, you're not getting that. And so you have to use wingers to move the ball forward, to carry the ball. And I think we haven't seen Veron and Pepe both play at the same time. I think that's I think that's I think we need to see that because I was describing there Luis Diaz. And, and maybe I'm thinking about Luis Diaz too much, but I, I just think that's what Porter need, particularly when you're playing with the two strikers, Pickman playing with the two midfielders, you need those out and out wingers of who drive, who attack players. And I, I don't think there's enough of that in this Porto team. It was just a few weeks ago that Porto lost to Huab and Sporting lost to Shavs in the span of 24 hours. Uh, since that defeat to Shavs on August 27th, Sporting have beaten Estoril 2-0, beaten Eintracht Frankfurt 3-0, beaten Portimonense 4-0, beaten Tottenham Hotspur 2-0 from two late goals from substitutes Paulinho and Arthur Gomes. A lot of people expecting another clean sheet and another victory. They failed to get that, though. Losing 2-1 to Boavista at the Estadio de Bessa via a brace from Bruno Lorenzo. Um, overall, another very worrying performance from Sporting, who uh, currently sit 8th after seven games. 
13 goals scored, 10 goals conceded. Really worrying stuff. Um, you know, how do we fix a problem like sporting? Where do we stand on them? They have been arguably the most impressive Portuguese side in Europe so far. But in terms of that consistency, that ability to protect the goalkeeper and do so many other aspects, they seem to be struggling. What what have been the biggest issues for the sporting side so far? I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think it's defensive issues that, that have caused them their problems, really. I think um, there's players in that defence who were formerly reliable that are no longer reliable. And I'm including Adan in that, the goalkeeper. And unfortunately, I would say Coates and Inacio as well. I think players who unfortunately were reliable last season, the season before, but this season, I think just individual form, individual mistakes, not really been good enough. And I think that's difficult to, difficult to, uh, to plan for because, you know, you don't plan, go into a season planning your squad thinking, oh, what if my best player suddenly... Uh, has a big drop in form so of course you can say they need players to kind of rotate and maybe they haven't got enough options at centre-back you know they've got Mateus Reese who can play but again he's not exactly been at his best Saint-Just I think has been good decent he's not played tons of minutes and he's had injury problems but he's looked decent and other than that you've got Luis Neto who a useful player at times but you shouldn't be relied on and then they're playing Ejigayo as a right centre-back sometimes, which I don't think is ideal. So I just think the defence is having is, is going through a tough time because formerly reliable players are unfortunately going through bad patches just at the wrong time. And and that is kind of showing up the lack of depth, I think, they've got. Well, depth in quality in defence, I think, which is the problem. Sorry, watching the, um, watching the Champions League games... I was thinking, you know, this would be this will be good for a lot of their players. You know, the likes of Marita Ugarte, Arthur Gomez. You know, this would be like a wake up call, like a conference speech. You know, that they 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 may they they may need, and it it might put them in the mindset, you know, that you're at this level now and you need to carry this on the league. But I feel like that that obviously in this game that that didn't translate. And I think what's sticking with me is this sort of juxtaposition where you have Amarin bringing through. In his first season, you know, the youngsters, Nuno Mendes, Mateus Nunes, Palinha. But you also have these players brought into the club like his guy. And I'm sorry to single him out, but he's the best example of this because he was purchased not as a starter because Porro was there. And, he, and, and we know Amarin sort of sanctioned this, this signing as well, having worked with him at, at Braga briefly. But why would you start him at centre-back in, in this game uh, when you have youngsters waiting to come on? And I know a lot of sporting fans have said this and 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 I've I've got to agree with them because I think I so far this season there has been the 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 occasional odd pick from Amrit and I think it's going to be interesting to see how in the league this pans out for the rest of the season because I feel like Amrit's experiencing his first time of turbulence you know obviously they didn't win the league last season but they had a fantastic season overall and it wasn't really a huge crisis at any point but this is this is significant. This is this is this is quite a big moment for him, and he, and he needs to work it out. I know there's been this sort of disconnect between him and and uh, the president in, in in terms of the recruitment. We sort of that's evident, you know, that he hasn't particularly happy with everything that's gone on in the transfer window. But that's done now. You know, he needs to do his job and work with the squad he's got and, and try and work something out. And it's going to be really interesting to see if he can do it. 
Absolutely. Sunday's action didn't just see Casafia beat Famalicao. It also saw Arauca and Victoria take a 2-2 draw. Um, Arauca conceding a last-minute penalty from Ruben Lomera. Seen a lot, seen a lot of last-minute penalties so far this season. Um, and it also saw Benfica thrashing Marichimo 5 nothing. Marichimo are the only team without a point so far. Benfica are the only team with all the points who have recorded three points from each of their matches, not just in the league, in all competitions. They are unbeaten, 13 out of 13. Should be noted that last year they did enter October having won every single match. They ended up third. Um, so obviously you have to take things step by step. And I do think that that collapse, that knowledge in so many of these players' minds, I think that is something that will help them going forward. Knowing that one, lo- one, one win doesn't mean that you're going to win the league title, but also one loss isn't the end of the world either. Uh, Benfica with 21 points from seven games, and the team that is hot on their heels is not Porto, not sporting, but Braga, 19 points from seven games, 23 goals scored. Only Paris Saint-Germain has scored more in Europe's major leagues. Only five goals conceded. Only Benfica and Casapia have conceded fewer. Uh, fantastic result from both of these teams. And it seems like, I don't know, is it 2009-10 again? Are, are Benfica <laughs> and Braga going to be fighting it out for the league title this season? And... Uh, specifically, and I, I know that you two, you have some, some decent, uh, Portuguese vocabulary, uh, <laughs> but, and you guys might be able to explain the Portuguese, uh, word estrelinha, estrelinha, that kind of intangible quality that yeah. it's like you have what it takes. It's, it's that thing that just, you know, it's, it's that team that it's a thing that these championship teams have that they can just do whatever it takes to get those three points. Does Braga have Estrelinha? <laughs> At the moment, it looks like they do. And I think the game that they won, 2-0 against Vizela, I think it just showed that, you know, they they had to be patient. They didn't score for, I think, was it 75 minutes at least? Or I can't remember exactly, but it was a long time. So they showed that they can do it that way if they need to. They were patient. They bide their time. Uh, and in the end, they were rewarded with two goals. And we've seen it so many times that if you're going to be the type of team that competes at the top of the table, you're going to have to be patient at times. You're going to have to deal with teams that sit back and take your chances when they come to you. And it's exactly what Braga did. I think I think we'll see. Uh, I, I, this season for me is one of the most exciting we've had because, because of Braga's performance that they're, they're going to be a real issue in terms of uh, upsetting this, this big three and, They've they've been absolutely brilliant under Arthur George, and I think you know everything's everything's there. They've got such good depth. I, I think I said that on our podcast that I feel like they've got two players in almost every position that they could feasibly start, and that's something they haven't had for a while. You know, and that's due to the fact that the the youngsters are a little bit older, a little bit more experienced that um, Carlos Carvajal brought through, and they've made some really good signings. Of course, Simon Banzo is, is is the easy one to to point out, but also defensively, I think. They've, they're looking far stronger. And, and I think it's just, uh, uh, Arthur George has a lot to do with that. It just it seems to keep things 
simple. I mean, maybe that's an easy thing to say when a team plays 4-4-2, but it just feels like everyone knows their jobs a little bit better compared to when Carvajal was in charge. And it it just works so well. I'm really enjoying watching them. And, and I hope they can keep it close for Benfica for the rest of the season. Gentlemen, an absolute pleasure to have you on as always. You guys are doing fantastic stuff um, with long ball as well as you guys check out their Barney and Albert's written content uh, for Portugal. Some fantastic stuff on Shavs that I got the chance to read. Uh, they are doing a phenomenal job covering Portuguese football in English. Well worth a follow. And uh, definitely not the last time I'm having them on uh, this year to discuss Portuguese football. So it was an absolute pleasure and uh, definitely can't wait to have you guys back on the Cortolina show. Thank See you, you next Zach. time, Zach. Cheers. Take care, guys.